going to run that DVD thing, Scott.
Thanks, guys. When it comes to our lives, there are two things that are very clear. We all have more rocks than we have jar space. Amen? And so we've got to take that uh, significant opportunity that we get to choose what are the big rocks in our life, what goes in first. And some of the rocks that appear big actually end up being quite small deals, and some of the things that look small actually end up being quite significant. So here's the question. According to God and His Word, what are the big rocks of life? There's a short answer from Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 33. Well-known passage. Jesus says, in contrast to the way that pagans or worldlings live, he says, therefore, I tell you not to worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, for life is more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They sow, neither do they reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father knows how to feed them. Are you not more valuable than them? And the answer is, you're more valuable than a chicken? Yeah, more valuable than a budgie? Turn to your name and say, you're more valuable than a budgie. <laughs> Are you not more valuable? The answer is, of course, yes. And um, he goes on to say, and who by worrying can add a single hour to his life? So why do you worry about clothes? See the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't labor, nor do they spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, all his splendor, was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Well, as the New Living Translation puts it, he will give you all your day-to-day needs if you live for him and make his kingdom your first priority. Isn't that good? God's going to look after you if you make his kingdom your first priority. That's good news. So kingdom first, right living second, and things come last. The way that the average person today lives is they put things first and God second, if they have God in their life at all. And I suspect even today one of the challenges that comes against the modern church agenda the person who's involved with loving God today, people like you and perhaps me, is, is God the big rock in our life? Or is he just a little bolt-on, a little bit of sugar that we stir into our toy chai latte to make life a little bit sweeter? Thank you. Is God first? And it means that we've got to figure out what those big rocks are in our life. And they have to touch on eternal things. You've heard me say it before that only a couple of things will last for eternity. And that is our relationship with God and our relationship with people. The rest stays here, guys. So when Jesus was asked about the big rocks, he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with some of your heart, some of your mind, 
Some of you are strong. He didn't say that. With all your heart, with all your soul. It's meant to be all-consuming, to love God with everything. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is just like it, that you love people the same way. So here are the big rocks, love God and love people. Now that's so basic that we could almost just let that go over our head and think, I know that. But knowing something and actually reorientating our lives radically around those ideas is another thing. I know I need to lose weight. I have a little bit of an overhang now. Just a little bit of overhang. But the weight is still good. The weight is still good. It's still on the same notch it was 20 years ago, which is amazing, isn't it? Maybe the belt stretch. Who knows? <laughs> So I've got a bit of an, I know I need to lose weight. Who knows things I need to do, things I ought to do. We all know that, but doing it is another thing. Christmas is a very interesting time, and for some people it is a wonderful time of joy and celebration, but for others it can be a time of great challenge. And you have issues of suicide and self-harm and all sorts of loneliness and drunkenness, and all sorts of pain can take place at Christmas time as well. Over this Christmas, I had the opportunity I needed to talk to someone at length who had a very bad episode, and it got to very bad places, very bad places. And as the individual's walking out of those bad places, they're saying now that I want to put into my life some goals. Isn't that a good idea? I want to start putting in some strategies so that this year is going to be different to last year. Isn't that a good thing to say? And then I want to actually, you know, not make the same mistakes I made last year. That sounds even better. And I said to him, says, well, unless you get the big rocks in your life right, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. Because what will happen is, is that eventually your old habits, the things that really drive you, the big things in your life will determine what happens to those strategies and to those goals. My New Year's resolution, by the way, is not to make any more New Year's resolutions. And so far, I'm doing really well. <laughs> so, love God and love people. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. I can say I love chocolate, and I wouldn't be lying, but I actually don't have to do anything about it. I can say that I love country and western which might need i need therapy <laughs> country and western but it doesn't mean i've actually got to do anything about it but when you say you love god you actually have to do something about that it's just not seeking the kingdom it's also about and his right way of doing things it's just not about an intention that I want to seek God, seek the church, see the growth of the gospel, but there's an alignment of my behavior that matches that. And what we've done in this modern world is that we've so emphasized feeling good that we've elevated that above being good. Ooh. Some of you missed what I just said. So important you grasp it. We have elevated feeling good so high apart from being good. It's actually better to be good than to feel good. Sometimes when you're doing good, you may not even feel particularly good about that. 
you know, getting up at five o'clock perhaps to go out and visit somebody who's a shut-in somewhere and pulling weeds out of their garden, you may not feel particularly ecstatic about that. But we are called to do good. Let's not think about good. The kingdom of God is about God's rulership in our life that is seen on our lives. It's seen on my worship. It's seen upon my giving. It's seen upon my behavior. You know, quite honestly, God doesn't want to be a big rock in your life. He doesn't want to be a big rock in your life. He actually wants to be the rock in your life. The rock upon which you stand because all else is sinking sand. The rock that Peter spoke of. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I see you for who you are, Jesus, and I'll reorientate my life around that truth. And upon that rock, God builds. Who wants a built life this year? A life of construction and positive progress where things get bigger, there's a stronger thing on your life. Or who wants a life of destruction and pulling down and negativity and having less than where you are? Well, it depends what you build upon. Build upon the rock Jesus and good things happen. The psychologists tell us in 10 years' time, every person who's listening to me now will be a different person will be a different person totally. Unrecognizable from what we are today. And we have been given this incredible privilege and burden of free will where we get to say what the big rocks are in my life. In 10 years' time from now, I want to be preaching better with a stronger anointing upon my life than what I am now. I want to be more in love with my wife. I want to be a better father. I want to know more about God's Word. I want to be a different person to what I am today. And becoming a Christian is not a one-time decision where you stick your hand up in the air and says, oh, I believe something or other. It's about a lifestyle where you choose that every second of your life, just not once. But when you go to the fridge, when you go to the EFT machine, when you go to the movies, it affects everything that you do. There is only one rock in the jar, and his name is Jesus. So quite honestly, God doesn't want to be one rock. He wants to be the rock. When you love God, it should show. There should be some demonstration of time and energy. Now, I actually find loving God mysterious frustrating, but I love it. Every once in a while I find God, or he finds me. I haven't quite figured that one out yet. And I love it. Loving people I find a bit harder. Now, you, you probably have no troubles at all with that. But I find people strange. They're not like me. <laughs> I'm normal. Look, some people I find easier to love than others. Some people I can love better at a distance. <laughs> but if you love God, then we are required to love people. Some people are harder to love. But genuine Christianity is expressed through that. Our world is so broken, guys. You sit in a context of church life that is so countercultural. We just don't get it. We really just don't get it. What's really important? What is really valuable in your life? What's really significant? What will you fuss over? What are your uh, worries, the concerns, the anxieties? What of that stuff is? It should only be big rocks. 
name is Jesus. I can't believe it. I'm going to throw up a video. It's just, I just can't believe the modern world, but it's a demonstration of where the world's got to. Uh, here's a video of a girl getting a surprise birthday present. Excuse some of the language. We'll stop it there, thanks. But, you know, here's a girl who's getting the surprise birthday gift of a sports car. I will never buy my daughter a sports car for her birthday. <laughs> Unless it's a little one you get out of the matchbox, you know. <laughs> that would be the one I'll get. You know, and her response to that is unbelievable, isn't it? She is upset because it's a red one. And everybody knows they're the fastest ones, don't they? Red ones go fast, don't they? But whether it's her or another clip I could have bought, there's a little boy coming out for his birthday party. There's a brand new bike. He sees the bike and he throws himself down on the floor and he begins to have a complete meltdown because it wasn't what he wanted. It's just a bike, a brand new bike. Something's broken with the world because we're chasing things. We're seeking first things. And if I have the right things, it will make me happy. Of course, you didn't know a blue sports car would have made me happy, Daddy. The red sports car doesn't. I want to tell her, too, the blue sports car won't make you happy either. And we've got to wake up, guys. Thank God we live in a country where we can have phones and shoes and all the wealth and all the stuff that we have because we are on world standards millionaires, guys. On world standards, we are so blessed, absolutely so blessed. But let it not contaminate us so we lose our heart for God, that we don't put the kingdom first. I've known a number of people over the years who have emigrated from South Africa uh, to Australia. Uh, white South Africans, coloured and uh, African people themselves. And they've often left out South Africa because the economy's struggling and there's an incredible amount of violence in the, uh, in the areas. And so, you know, literally, if you've got any wealth at all, you've got an armoured fence around your house, you've got machine guns, you've got... It's, it's not a nice place to live. If your wife is half an hour late coming home from work, you are in great fear that just she didn't get caught in a queue at Woolies so she's been killed or murdered on the way home. You live with that as a reality in South Africa. And they come here to Australia, and initially they're just blown away by the freedom, the safety, the cleanliness, that 
Most of our governmental systems work sometimes, if you don't mind hanging on the phone for about 10 hours. <laughs> you know, it's all like works and stuff. A lot of those South Africans have said to me over the years, but, you know, one of the things that did happen is we lost our heart for God. Back in South Africa, every Sunday we'd be at church. Every Wednesday we'd be at the prayer meeting. And our whole family would be there. There was no option. We had to pray for security, for food, for, for, you know, for daily provision in our lives. And since we've come here, we've been so blessed that we haven't put God first in our lives. Isn't that a tragedy? You want to have a look. This is Old Testament theology 101 in the caption. When God blesses his people, God's people usually take God for granted and become less committed, and think because he's blessing me, he doesn't mind my sin on the side. He doesn't mind my half-heartedness. He doesn't mind me having you know, a girlfriend or looking at, because there's this blessing upon my life. And so then what God has to do then apparently is that he takes his blessing away from his people for a season. And then they come to a place of great hardship. Usually their enemies will triumph over them. God will use the enemies his enemies, to bring discipline to his people. And then when they've got no food and their lives are in jeopardy, then they cry out to God, God helps us. You know what God does over and over again? He responds, of course, I'm here all the time. It's all I want to do. This time when I bless you, please remember me. This time when I give you wealth and I give you the ability to bless the nation through what I've given you, please don't waste it on yourself. Please actually just use that to bless the nation. But they forget again. As I look at Australia, guys, and you know we're going to wind this up right now, but you know I don't know if you appreciate just how a precarious position Australia is, the world is. We are living on a pivotal point of history, and most Western people are just blind to those facts. Just, uh, you know, we've heard about this uh, fiscal crisis in America and stuff. But let me just give you an example you might understand by taking away all the zeros. Because when you hear about billions and trillions of dollars, it just doesn't seem to make sense. So this is what's happened in America. Assume, we'll use me as an example. Assume my income for last year was $20,000. A little bit more than that, but just for the figures. Because these are the figures that match American figures, just without the zeros. $20,000. Well, our family that year spent $40,000. That's a problem, isn't it? If I earn $20,000 and I spend $40,000. And so the bank wants to foreclose on us because we're not paying the mortgage, which is now $140,000 debt that we owe on top of the mortgage. So the bank wants to foreclose. So we've gone into budgeting and through not buying the Tim Tams anymore and moving things around a little bit, we can actually save... $380 a week, sorry, a year. That's our budget. So we're still going to spend $39,000 next year as well. And that budget's been approved for two years, though for two months. The world is incredibly broken. As we see now, massive populations of people who are leaving their countries just to find a place where there's clean water and food. Literally, there are millions of people on the move on the planet Earth today. 
and you see what's happening in Palestine, and you see what's happening on the internet, when you know that most of the people in this room today who love Jesus have probably been exposed to vile pornography that our grandfathers didn't even know existed. They've already seen it, already been imbibed. Dear God, we are living in precarious times. And here's the question. God is going to build an incredibly powerful, dynamic church. But it's going to happen this way. Either the church is going to rise up in obedience to the word and put the kingdom first, put righteousness second and put things last, or God will have to take his hand off Australia. He will take his hand off Australia and we'll be faced with national calamity, with drought, with fire. We've only seen the beginning of trouble. May I prophetically stir your hearts this morning and say at the beginning of 2013, big rock, big rock. And it starts in your life and in my life and the life of the church. What's important? May I ask you to put God there, right in the bottom of the barrel. Love God with everything. Seek his kingdom passionately. Do right. And you know the wonderful thing is then the things come. The things come. And you don't have to worry about what does happen because God will provide. So loving God and loving people, these things and your commandment is the key to life and finding our meaning. So if we're struggling with uh, purpose in our life, with worry, with anxiety, with the concern for the future, Jesus has already told us all we need to do is to make him number one in our life. And it's just not for a moment. It's meant to be for every moment of our days. Now, we all struggle with the consistency of that, but it's the heart orientation. God is not so much concerned with our failure. He's concerned with our heart orientation. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So I'm going to ask every one of you to stand now. I'm going to pray a prayer of dedication that God will be your number one. And maybe you've been serving God wonderfully. You worship Him and it's not there. But we can all just adjust a little bit, saying, God, I just want to enthrone you again. Let this year be the year when you really do shine your will and your purposes and your grace upon my life so that we can leave the wilderness and go into those great times that God has for us. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to live in this place of Australia, this blessed land, this lucky country. Lord, we love it, and, Lord, we're concerned for it. We see, Lord, the changes, Lord, and the haves and the have-nots, Lord, and the, the, the abuse, Lord, the, Lord, the violence, Lord, the drinking, Lord, the drugs, Lord, the, Father, everything that's beginning to actually just sap the life out of it. Lord, we just want to be a part of your answer to all that. And Lord, we have to do that by putting you first. We can't ask that of anybody else unless we do it first. So, Father, we just take this step of dedication at the beginning of a new year, another 360-odd days, Lord, of opportunity and of challenge. Jesus, we make you number one. Let you be the big rock in our life. And help us, Lord, to connect with other people. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll have the... Uh
team up. We're going to sing Happy Day. Happy Year. is our each Sunday, a time when we just give a little bit to reflect on world mission, so I'd love you to come prepared to give sacrificially to that. Of course, we've got a team of people away right now in India, uh, David and uh, a number of others are with you, so remember us in your prayers, we seem to be doing well. So, live strong for Jesus. Jesus is the number one rock.
And if you need to personalise what I've spoken to you today, I mean, we all need to personalise, but you really need to come and get that uh, really cemented into your life, then we want to invite you out to the front, and there will be some people here to lay hands on you, pray for you. Otherwise, God bless.